Hello and welcome to the Burlap Podcast. This is Chris Abel and I'm with my co-host here, Chris Formsby. And today we want to talk about something that has impacted almost all of our lives. And you're probably listening to this podcast because of this very topic. And that topic is smartphones. That's right. What does this have to do with millennials and Gen Z? Well, I want to start off by reading a quote. This quote is from an article that we have been reading lately. This is called, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? Which is, man, that's like a heavy-duty title, huh? Yeah, that's gutsy. This article is by Gene M. Twenge, and you can find it on theatlantic.com. And there's a quote here from a student, a a, uh, Gen Z student who was interviewed and they said this the allure uh no wrong quote we didn't have a choice to know any life without ipads or iphones i think we like our phones more than we like actual people whoa yeah so today we're going to talk about smartphones and how it impacts uh how we're going to reach this next generation specifically this article is about gen z now gen z is um the generation after millennials known commonly as Gen Y. Yeah, or if you're buddies of mine and you, uh, Canada, you'd say Gen Z. Gen or Z. Australia or New Zealand, you'd say Gen Z because Z in the alphabet is Z. That sounds cooler. Gen Z. Gen Z. And this is prominently, I mean, more popularly said that these are people born after 2000. Sometimes, sometimes there's some people who say after 1995. But basically the idea here is millennials um, are somewhat impacted by technology. I got the internet in middle school and high school. I got my first cell phone in college. So I grew up without this kind of technology in my hands. Gen Z, however, has been born with it. Like the quote says, they didn't know life without iPads or iPhones. I remember the first iPad that I bought. I was sitting on the kitchen table and my son Drew was probably, I want to say at the time he was a first grader. Right. So he was six, maybe top end six. Right. He walks up, grabs the iPad. There's only one button, hits the button, moves his finger across and he's in. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like they have perfectly designed this tablet for every age. I mean, if you're older, you don't want to mess with all kinds of stuff on there. So just give me a button. If you're younger. Just give me a button. I mean, that's the first recollection I have of thinking to myself, this kid's growing up with this stuff. Like, he doesn't even have to know what it is. He probably won't even be able to explain it. He'll just be using it. You know what I mean? That's wild. They have some kids that are using uh, iPads and iPhones. I just see it all the time. People hand their iPhone to their kid to keep them busy, right? They can't read. They literally can't read, but they know the the symbols and the pictures. Well, again, they got the apps on there, so you just... They got the cartoons you can watch, like, straight up, you know, just log in and play Netflix right there and keep your kid happy. So this is an interesting topic. Some some friends of mine resisted as long as they could. They did not show their newborn or their, their kid, basically. She's a couple years old now, but for years they didn't show her a phone. Uh, they didn't show her television. They just didn't have one. They had one up in their personal bedroom. They didn't use it. to. And then finally they gave in, and they've been showing her Disney stuff. And But uh, they only used... Um, their cell phone for Skype. So this kid, for a while, it's it, her only association with technology was I get to see my grand my grandparents through the screen. 
That's it. That's all she knew was human contact through it. But more and more, what's happening is, like this article says, it says social media is just absorbing people's lives. And if you go back in time, what how we grew up was, you know, I went to, on Saturday mornings, I went to the skating rink. And uh, what they're finding is that Gen Z now is, they're actually 12th graders um, are less social than 8th graders 10 years ago. 12th graders are staying home more. They're finding that uh, this is, now this part's good. Uh, sex and drugs usage is dropping. So we have one of the lowest points of, um, we, have, we have delayed you know, sex for these students. Uh, we have, uh, you know, less, less, you know, it's like, it's like out of three decades, some of the least drug use in these students. I mean, these are all studies that have been done. Because they document everything, man. Yeah. Right? Isn't that, I think I remember reading that from that article, right? That documentation is as important as like the actual events, right? So I'm not just like at the concert, it's more important that you know how great the concert was that I'm at, right? So the, you know, the Snapchats and the Instagram. And so you're more careful about where you're spending your time and what you're doing because you're also documenting it all. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm not, yeah. I'm not so, 15 years old with a smartphone. I'm, I don't even have Snapchat. I know what it is. My kids have it, but I'm like, you know, I'm guessing that because I can go in and see the story of my daughter, right. Yep. And various apps that like, she's not going to put something on there that is going to do something negative to her reputation if she, you know or she's careful because she knows there's in her case hundreds of people who follow her and want to see what she's up to which right? is fascinating because when i was 16 uh i like no one cared about me right or what i was doing and i didn't have to put on a facade i was just some goofy kid like today i have no idea how i would have handled today's technology as a 16 year old well i'll tell you this i mean this just pops into my head as you're talking I remember, you know, growing up on the block and knowing the the kids that were my age. We hung out together, did everything together, right? Because that's who you had. I think my daughter and my sons know more people than I would have because of the smartphone, right? Because now yeah. your network is wider, right? And I think that has a lot to do with it. But I think the article is also saying in spots that... The community, I'll use that word, I don't know that the author used that word, but that the actual relationship and the intimacy level and the depth of those relationships are certainly changing, right? So, like, the social media is 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 uh, keeping people from really getting to know each other well. We know a lot of people. We don't know them very well. Mm -hmm. Is that part of that article, I think? Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, what they're finding is that there is some very strong statistics to show that the more social media use anyone has in their life, but especially Gen Z, um, the more depression and other mental illness that people are more likely to have. And so there's a quote in here. I don't. I think, um, here we go, it says, Psycholo uh, psych psychologically, however, they are more vulnerable than millennials were. Uh, rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011. And it goes on to say, it's not an exaggeration to describe this generation as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. And then it goes on to say, there's no single exception. All screen activities are linked to less happiness, and all non-screen activities are linked to more happiness. Whoa, that's heavy, man. That's super heavy. Yeah, it is. And, which makes me think, as, as the church that we have this generation coming up that is just 
going to need so much love and support. And churches are villages today. And I, 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 and I read this quote um, uh, on another a blog, uh, or not a blog, a podcast recently. And um, I'm going to look it up here for a second. But I just find that one of the things in my ministry that just drives me to help uh, reach new people is the fact that it's so lonely out there. And that's as a millennial. It's hard in your 20s and 30s to find community and friendships and deep friendships. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who have a ton of friends, like you said, and just don't go deeply with any of them. And church is a place where I think people intuitively know you're supposed to go and have like deep connections with people, like live for something beyond yourself. Yeah, but man, you get into that. You're like, you, and I'm not saying that shouldn't be the case. I 100%, of course, right? Agree with that. But how many churches actually allow that to take place and that's one i'll say one of many factors involved with millennials and gen z since we're talking about the you know, many of these stats are gen z they, they don't have they don't have any desire for the church as an institution because of that like there's just nothing yeah. within them that's like why why would i go to church to find friends like or to get to know people deeply they've heard horror stories of people who have shared their lives in intimate ways, you know, come out of the closet, whatever it might be. And they're shunned. And it's like, so I just wonder like, how will the church, how will the church respond to this? Because man, this, if this is true, if these thoughts from this author end up really being the case, which I tend to think that the Atlantic puts out good stuff and I trust what they say, um, I think it's still good to check into it and wait and see right, what happens. Yeah. Gen Z, Gen Z, right? So young still, but my goodness, like I'm really fearful that because the church has not done a very good job with this, that we'll continue to see this believability gap. I call it widen instead of sort of right come closer, mm-hmm. and it's largely going to be because people don't trust the church to help them go deep. So where are they going to get that? They're not getting it on their phones. They're not getting it. I mean, right? That's what just said. Hey, we're anxiety's up. Stress levels are up. Suicide's up. All this stuff is up. You're saying the church needs to be the place, right, to love people. Great. Yeah. So what are we going to do? Because I don't see a bunch of Gen Z kids making their way to our church properties on Sunday mornings. Well, the, you know, the interesting thing is they are young enough now that their parents make a decision whether or not they bring them, right? And a lot of them will play on their cell phones or rather stay home or play video games or something, right? And so it's this, it's this tragic thing that even if the parents do their part and they drag their kids along, you know, one of the, as a pastor at my last church, you know, I worked with kids a lot more and now I work with young adults, but I was actually a campus pastor. And one of the things that I would tell people is like, I want kids to literally, I want literally kids to cry if they can't come to church. Like I want them to be sad that they can't come to church. And every once in a while I'd hear a story. They're like, oh, so-and-so, my kid is sick and they couldn't come. So they're at home with dad and she's crying. She can't come to church. I'm like, yes. That is what we want. We want people who feel so loved and look forward to coming to church. I heard another pastor say, we want our kids to feel like this is the best hour of their entire week. Like, that's that's the goal. We're going to dream ambitiously about making church a place where these kids feel like they are, that are like they love it. But, with the, but so we're going to have to do that for their parents, too, then, is my point, right? Yeah. Because what's, 
What's the driving factor for me? Now, I, I'm involved. I'm on staff at a church, right? So I don't count when it comes to ah. statistics of bringing my, my kids come to church with me. They just do, right? Sometimes they put up a fight. But, I mean, most often they're like, yeah, I want to go hear Pastor Adam preach today. Like, they, they like it. They yeah. like coming to church. Uh, it's not entertainment. It's just straight up. They just like it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm thankful for he it. He talks about real life issues, right? And he's a gifted speaker. So right. there's, and that. They, yeah, and they, I, I, you know, and we'll do some fun sermon series like, you know, the the gospel and film series, the short series we just did. My son's a Star Wars nerd, and so to to have a Sunday dedicated to that was pretty cool for him. But put that aside, I'm like, what's the driving factor? that says to a person in their mid-40s, like myself, who has teenage kids, to come to church. I don't think Gen Z is going to make their way there by themselves. And you're saying, well, their parents are going to bring them, right? Kicking For now. We have a few them. more years of this. Yeah, I get that. But, like, what's bringing the parent? Right. Well, it's, it's got to be, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of both sides. I think a lot of parents feel like, I feel like a, we still have a lot of parents, even of Gen Z's, who feel like they're supposed to bring their kids to church. They want their kids to be good people, right? Moral, and, that, hey, that's the number one thing. When we do the research, the number one thing that comes back is we want to instill morals and values in our children. And sometimes as pastors, we can judge people for doing that. And I just think, I think that's great. Whatever brings people to look at, whatever motivates people to come looking for religion or faith or something beyond themselves, if it's to help their kids not be little nasties, then that's uh, <laughs> then that's okay with me. Like, I'm not going to judge that motive. What I'm going to do is try to help them along the path a little bit. But I think this is where I think we have to have fun. We can't compete. I heard someone once say that we can't compete with the entertainment out there. You know, we can't compete with smartphones. We can't compete with the worship. We're not even worship. I'm sorry, just music out there, concert experiences. I felt more chills and emotion. At, you know, I'm going to Coldplay in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. Like, I'm just, I'm psyched. Um, I, church can't compete with Coldplay, right? No way. No way. So we can't, we can't outdo the entertainment factor. But guess what? The entertainment factor is leaving a gaping hole in the hearts and souls of these kids. That is, they're just, they're, they are, they know they're hungry for something already. And this is where the church has an opportunity to step up and, 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 and introduce God as something that could, you know, be that thing that fills that emptiness. And it, we're, it's not going to be through entertainment, but it can be meaning. And it's going to be that eight second filter, like you yeah. mentioned. I can't remember if you mentioned that on the podcast or no, beforehand. I, I just was talking about that beforehand. And, some of the research that's out there is indicating an eight-second eight attention span. So some people will say, yeah, that's just they just can't pay attention. They, they only got eight seconds. But really, if you dig into the data and understand the dynamics of it, what's really being articulated and, and what's trying, what try, people are, are trying to get their arms around is that it's more of a filter than it is an attention span. So an attention span is I just, you know, I checked out, right? The filter says, I can process informa information so fast that within eight seconds, I've already decided whether I'm going to rule you out or not, right? So think about that in terms of preaching sermons every week, right? That doesn't mean that somewhere along the line in your 30-minute sermon, let's just say, you don't have multiple points in which to try to engage and re-engage re re that eight seconds, but you have eight seconds. And it's not attention span, it's information synthesis. I think that's why, as I stated earlier, my kids like going to church because 
the way that our service is prepared and delivered and the sermon and all that, there, there's multiple points, multiple entry points back in once you've checked out. Yeah. I think that's helpful. But anyway, I didn't want to interrupt you, but that's what I meant by the difference between the attention span and the filter of the eight seconds. Well, let's talk about it for, for a minute because I feel like, uh, you know, our listeners are probably involved in church in some way. And sermons, often sermon length, sermon topic, style, I think it's all, it gets critiqued, it gets judged, it gets talked about, there's opinions. It should, yeah, right. Well, like, how, does, so. how, how does, how do sermons, imp- how do you think sermons impact Gen Z? Like these young, you know, these teens and preteens right now and kids. Well, I will say this, and I don't know the best way to articulate this, but I'm telling you right now what not to do is speak badly of other people. As soon as you speak badly of another person or you make fun of somebody, it doesn't matter what their thinking is or what their religion is or where they're from, Gen Z is done listening to you. They are so into human rights, right? All the statistics are saying, yeah, we care about the globe and global warming and all this, but what we really care about is the dignity of human beings. And this morning I was flipping through my Facebook and I saw that one of my friends had posted this video of a pastor who was ripping on another pastor. No. I mean, it, dude, it's bad. Like, I'm not going to name names because these names everybody would know and it's just not. And I don't even want to give any, like, cred to it, which is why I don't want to announce their names. But, like, I just sat there thinking, this is ridiculous. My kids would listen to this, and they would be done in, like, two seconds. Like, why is this guy being mean to this other guy? You know, like, what's the point? So I can tell you, don't do that, right? Be hopeful would be a, a message I would say. Like, let's keep pointing to what God's doing in, in the world in big ways and how we can be a part of that. I think one of the things that really Gen Z will struggle with with churches, how small God seems when really mm-hmm. we, had, we need to do a better job articulating this giant mission. I mean, and connecting the scripture together so much is out of context that like, I just don't think it's meaningful for so many people. You know, we're this weekend at our church, we're getting ready to do a how to read your Bible sermon, right? I can't wait for my kids to hear this, right? Because they already read their Bible. I don't know about every day. Of course, they do it on their smartphone, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with it. I'm glad they have the Bible app on their phone, right? Um, but I'm like, man, I think connecting the dots and the big story for people, is, is particularly Gen Z, is huge. And I just don't see that in a lot of preaching today. And I try to listen to three or four different sermons uh, throughout the month, I don't. I was, you know, I don't want to say every week, but I try to get three or four sermons from different pastors because I'm trying to learn like how to be a better communicator and whatnot. And so, like, what can I learn from so and so? And they're so disjointed and disconnected. Some of it's contextual stuff that I don't get because I'm not a regular attender in their local church. Yeah. But a lot, most of it is like, where are you going with this? Like, their interpretation of scripture is so different that it just. It just leaves it disjointed. So anyway, that those are three things that I would say right off the top of the bat. Don't make fun of anybody, right? Or you're, you're done. You're just done. They will not listen to you. Uh, I, I would say we we got to connect the story, and we got to we got to talk about how big God is, not show how little God is. Those are three things that I would say. If you're not doing that, good luck. Immediately, I think of th- stories like. Um you know, in seminary, they're teaching us that uh, the the people of Israel that were freed from slavery in Egypt. Well, uh, some of the sociological and historical 
you know, findings show that, you know, there's one theory that the the, the Israelites weren't all biologically related. That the, what had happened is that that exodus out of Egypt included um, all sorts of different cultures that had been uh, taken in and ca- taken captive by the Egyptians. So when they were the Israelites and they were brought to freedom, it wasn't just one family who was exclusively God's chosen ones, but like this, like this, uh, just this mix of people and cultures who were freed together and then called into one family. Okay, it was just beautiful. Like that's the kind of stuff. Like I, I remember just getting chills here in that. Right. Yeah, and no. yet like, whoa, like, you know, we, yeah, we, like, can we, can we do that? Can we talk about that? Can it, you know, it's just like, like, let's find the ins- inspirational stuff in there again. I mean, Jesus crossing cultural boundaries, talking to, I mean, I find so much today that some of the movements that young, you know, younger people are getting involved in, you know, speaking truth to power, talking about people on the margins, like the, like you said, the human rights issues, man, that's really similar to how Jesus treated people. And he upset a lot of people because of the way that he treated people who were on the fringes. You know, Jesus was constantly having a heart for people on the fringes. And he didn't, like, wag a finger at them or befriend them to try to change them. He just loved them where they were at and, you know, transformed the world that way. So, I don't know. So here we are. We started this conversation with smartphones. and Which you're probably listening on right now. <laughs> and now we've gotten to the place where we're talking about Jesus caught you know, um, crossing cultures. And the real question is, so what do we do with the smartphone? How do we counterculturally provide something that is, you, you, like you said earlier about edutain, uh, entertainment, sometimes I call it edutainment, right? Because we try to educate through it. But how do we live within the reality that the smartphone isn't going away and yet be countercultural at the same time. Like, that's the question, right? I think that's the biggie. It's like, you know, a lot of the people that I talk to say, well, we're going to build an app and we're going to do this. And it's like, okay, cool. I hope it works. I don't think it will. I hope it will, you know, because it's just so hard for the church to quote unquote compete, right? I don't like that language, but you know what yeah. I mean? To, to create with things with equal time. excellence and energy and all that stuff. So what do you think about that, man? Like someone, let's pretend someone is sitting in this empty chair here in between us and they ask us the question, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this smartphone thing? Yeah, it's a problem because of the way that it's, you know, causing uh, greater levels of anxiety than we've ever seen before. Stress is like off the charts, you know, in these types of things, which, by the way, we didn't mention why necessarily. And a lot of that's the bullying that takes place, right, Mm -hmm. which is just a whole nother podcast all by itself. It used to be you could go to school and just come home yeah. and bullies would stay at school. Yeah. Now it's everywhere. Yeah. Fake accounts and everything else. But again, what, what would you say to somebody who's sitting there saying, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the, st- one of the statistics is showing that this, this age group, this generation is less likely to be social. They're less likely to spend time with their friends. They're less li- likely to go out that you can't get rid of that stuff. That's not going to stop happening, but they're just spending a lot of time in the, on their beds with their phones, with their, you know, with the internet. I don't think we can compete with, I don't think we can compete with cell phones. And if we try to smartphones, when we try to, if we tried to regulate it as, as a church and say, you know, no cell phones allowed here or whatever, like we're just going to, we're just going to, you know, shoot ourselves in the foot. Like that's, we can't, we can't fight this. This is what's going to happen. However, we can heal and we can mend the the effects of smartphones in people's lives. 
And that may sound dramatic, but this is this is the reality of what our next generation is going to face. And this is as a millennial talking and realizing that I'm going to have to start pouring into this next generation too. And I even see it right now with the younger end of, uh, you know, I work with 20s and 30s, but I've got some 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And I, I, I feel like interacting with them is different than interacting with my 25-year-olds or 30-year-olds. And I see a lot more depression. I see a lot more anxiety. I see a lot more concern about their own mental health. Uh, luckily, our church has a director of counseling who can you know, refer. We have scholarships to help people see counseling, um, which I've used a lot with people. Um, and so it's just it just has me, it just, it just breaks my heart. And so what I'm trying to do is create, oh, here's the quote. I finally found it. Um, I'm trying to, this is from Kurt Vonnegut. And I haven't read any of his books, but I, I don't know if this is a character or himself, but he said this. What should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously. But the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. That's fantastic. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it is. That's so prophetic. And I feel like that is what the church can do to bring light to this world, especially for the next generation. And um, people Read it again, man. Sure. What should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously. But the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. That's fantastic. It really is. Stable communities. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is this is one of the funny things. It's like, I'm going to use a weird analogy here. It's like we're a, a food truck that just sells really good grilled cheese sandwiches. And yet we're worried about our signage and we're worried about, you know, where we're going to be. But like, man we just make some really good grilled cheese sandwiches and we're worried about our soups and what kind of sodas we're going to offer. But like, we just don't realize how good the grilled cheese is. And that's what I feel like church is so countercultural in that way that it literally church literally means gatherings. That's what the the Greek means there. And we've lost that. We've lost that with our just Sunday morning show up. Like it's not about Sunday morning attendance. It's about community and gathering. And I think this is why small group attendance, like studies show that people will almost never miss a small group, but they will go to church. A regular Christian will go to church 1.2 times a month, but they won't usually miss a small group. What does that tell you? Yeah, no, I hear you. You know? Yeah. So there's a lot of how, how to do that. That we're leaving out. And I think in part because, you know, the, the listeners of this podcast or any podcast really are the experts in their own context. Like we can't yeah. tell people when we don't know what their church is like in their communities, like go, how to go and do this. I do think, though, that what you're getting at is so important that we have the message and mission of Jesus. That's what the grilled cheese, right? That's what we have. This idea to heal. Grilled cheese us. Oh, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> but we have this message and this mission, and and when it's lived out in authentic and faithful ways, that it 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 does do what it, it was intended to do. It heals people. It cares for people uh, in the margins. And I think I think part of this conversation, we don't have time today, but I I think that you have these injustices all around the world that Gen Z is looking at and going, how do we, how do, we do something about this? And I, sometimes I think the church is so interested in bringing people to it that it forgets that this gathering really might be best suited to go out and to serve into the community. That doesn't mean you have a mission department or it doesn't mean you take a short-term trip or it doesn't make you you know, a service project. What I'm talking about is really changing the way that we we view the church from being a place 
yeah, where we're gathered, but yeah, scattered uh, to go and to, to do the work of, of Jesus in the world. And I, I think that's a key piece for Gen Z, Gen Z, however you want to say it, that I think they're looking for that. They're looking for that daring idea of developing stable communities that are going to live this way. And so maybe we spend so much time with the peripheral items that we forget that the message of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God is at hand, is not uh, an outdated, uh, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, irrelevant way to live. Of course, it's the way we ought to do it, but instead we try to package all of these things around it, and we sometimes miss the point. I think that's what you're talking about with the grilled cheese, right? Did I catch that metaphor? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's. I think one of the one last thing here. Um, one of the things that bugs me about this whole conversation, not the one we've just had, but the one related to smartphones, is how boomers and Xers and some millennials will talk about how the habits of young people are just so driven by their smartphone. And then I watch them in public and see them <laughs> on their smartphone. Right? Yeah. Like, I'm like, where is the disconnect there? That somehow the older generations have earned it or something? Or somehow that we have gotten to the place where, like, we're not young, so we know what we're doing? Because I just think, I see loneliness not just emerging out of Gen Z, but in the boomer and Xer men that I meet with for lunch and coffee to talk with them just about life and faith. I Miss mean, everywhere. And so I think the smartphone is transcending the generational uh, stigma that it has that all these young people, all they ever know is their phone. Well, it's like go to a park and watch a group of adults just wander about the park and you'll see just as many of them connected or glued to their phone as you will Gen Z. Yeah. Right? And I, so I don't think it's fair in some ways is what I'm trying to say, that adults are always projecting this on the kids. Yeah. Right? It's affecting all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, you know, the studies that we read earlier about impacting Gen Zs and their mental health and happiness. It affects everyone. It's not just generational. It's the more that you have screen time in your life. Um, now, don't judge a different generation because if you're having trouble with screen time, it's going to impact you too. So what I've tried doing recently is just turning my phone off at night and then just I have a like an old school alarm clock now and so I like and I'll turn my phone off when I leave the house because otherwise it all gets sucked in and then I don't feel like I've wasted my day it starts me off in a weird place like Facebook you know what it is, is you comparing your life to other people their best I had a friend call me recently and his like his world has fallen apart but on Facebook it looks real good yeah of course you know and I, I was like man I had no clue things were so rough for you and, uh, you know, it's just it's that social media thing, man. Yeah. So thanks for listening today. We haven't solved any of the world's problems or the coming problems of the smartphone apocalypse, but smartocalypse? No, never mind. <laughs> There's nothing witty there. Um, but we're, you know, glad that you're listening. And, uh, you know, if you have any ideas or thoughts on how we can, as the church, make a difference in the lives as technology is impacting our lives, you know? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can re read and find our information and get in touch at thinkburlap.com. We'll see you next time.